0: My grandson looked at those pancakes, and his response was, I mean, these things were going to be delicious. Anybody in this room would go, oh my gosh, I'd like a plate. And his response was, no thank you, lad. He calls me lad. No thank you, lad. I said, what's the problem here? And he goes, I don't like pancakes. And I said, no, 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 you don't understand. <laughs> and he, we went and do a long thing. And finally I said, have you ever had pancakes? And he said, no. <laughs> well, uh, Christopher, we're going to have to do something with this thing here. Zachary or somebody uh, sometime. We, I hate this thing. Um, uh, I spent ten minutes begging him. Dude, if you'll just taste them, I promise you you're going to love them. There's nothing not to love. Every kid in the universe loves pancakes. You will love them. No thank you, lad. No thank you, lad. And guess who ate the pancakes? <laughs> so he never he never did eat them. No thank you, lad. Um and I thought about that this week and what a tragedy, I mean a tragedy, to miss the opportunity to enjoy something incredible, to respond to something wonderful, glorious, unforgettable, To respond to something like that with a no thank you. That's a tragedy in my book. And while it's hard for me to grasp, I did a little research and what I discovered is that people say no thank you to incredible things all the time. My my mic's on, right? Y'all can hear me? Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. People do it all the time. Let me give you some examples just real quickly. Thomas Edison begged multiple corporations and cities to believe in and invest in and embrace his invention of electricity and a light bulb system before. It went on for years before somebody finally bought in. The first many companies and cities that he offered it to, they said no thank you. Western Union said no thank you to Alexander Graham Bell's invention of the telephone. They said it was foolish and that no one would would, would buy into it. And they said no thank you. They could have bought it for $50. Bought The Bell Telephone idea and little company for $50,000. And they said, no, thank you. Uh, I guess I'm saying this right. DECA Records said, no, thank you to the Beatles. The Beatles went to them and said, we'd like for you to be our rep, whatever, uh, publishing company or whatever, recording company. And they said, no, thank you. Kodak. One of their employees, one of their scientists, invented the digital camera. And Kodak said, no thank you. That idea will never go anywhere. Um, Wozenak, 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 what's the dude's name? With, yeah, Wozenak. He, uh, before any other computer people or companies were out there, He went to Hewlett Packard and said that he would sell them his ideas to create a personal home computer, and they said no thank you. The Atari—I don't—you'd have to be my age or more to even remember Atari uh, video games. But the Atari company was approached by Steve Jobs and could have—he Steve Jobs wanted to sell them the majority stockholder position. In Apple computers, and they said no, thank you. Ross Perot was given the opportunity by Steve Gates to um, buy the majority stockholder position in Microsoft, and he said no, thank you. Uh, a company that, I, if you're in computers in your my age, I, I don't know any of these things, but uh, you would remember a company that years ago was on the leading edge called Excite, and Larry Page offered to sell his idea of Google to them. And they said, no, thank you. Uh, Netflix offered to sell their entire company, Lock, Stock, and Barrel, to um, Blockbuster. And they said, no, thank you. And uh, MySpace had the opportunity to buy Facebook. And they said, no, thank you. Opportunities that now looking back, who could say no thank you? And yet, time after time after time, people were presented with opportunities that you can't even grasp, you can't even measure, you can't, you can't put a value on them. And their response was no thank you. Uh, Dr. Seuss went to publisher after publisher and was repeatedly met with the response, "No thank you." As was James Joyce, Lewis um, what's her name Louisa May Alcott, Agatha Christie, Zane Gray, William Faulkner, Beatrix Potter, John Gresham, Grisham, D.H. Lawrence, uh, J.K. Rowling, Uh, Rudyard Kipling, and Stephen King. What they all have in common is that they were repeatedly for years met by publishers that they approached with the response, no thank you. Abraham Lincoln, Walt Disney, Michael Bloomberg, Madonna, Lady Gaga, Oprah, Seinfeld, Elvis, uh, Capote, Uh, Lucille Ball, Einstein, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, Marilyn Monroe, Van Gogh, Monet, Steven Spielberg, and Meryl Streep were all told at an early moment in their careers, you need to try something else. What you're trying to do is going to fail. Can you imagine the, the person that looked into the face of Meryl Streep and said, the film uh, director or whatever, you're not pretty enough and you don't have enough talent. Try another field. Elvis was told you need to go back and work in that warehouse that you've been working in down in Mississippi. No thank you. No thank you. No thank you. Thomas Carlyle made the statement, the real tragedy in life is not so much what we suffer, But what we miss. It is amazing how often people say no thank you to some of life's greatest opportunities, blessings, and gifts. And I found this verse, never seen it before, which happens to me all the time. In Jeremiah chapter 6, God said, follow me. And you will find rest for your souls. But you said to me in return. No thank you. Follow me. And you will find rest for your souls. But you responded to me with. No thank you. I want to talk to you. About three people in the Christmas story. Who were given unbelievable gift to participate in the Christmas story, the first original Christmas story. And their response was, no thank you. Uh, first one is Zachariah, that's John the Baptist' dad, Elizabeth's husband. Let me let me read that story to you. Just uh, well, well, I'm not going to read that story to you. I'm going to read you another one, but uh, uh, I'll tell you the story of uh, of Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He was a descendant of Aaron, and um, he uh, was selected through a series of it was a lottery type system to be. Uh, in the holy place, offering sacrifices. And to get the privilege of doing that was unbelievable. Um, And while he was in there offering sacrifices on behalf of the people of God, an angel appeared to him, and I'm going to, for the sake of time, let me just summarize it. Um, Basically, Zechariah was given the opportunity to be the very first person in 400 years to speak the word of God to God's people. He was the very first person that God spoke to in 400 years. He was the very first person that God gave a message to to give to the people of God. He was the very first person that God invited to go out and announce to the people of God that the, the, the long-awaited Messiah that you have been praying for, waiting on, begging God to send, He's about to come. And Zechariah said, no thank you. Zechariah responded to this unbelievable gift this privilege, this blessing, he responded to this offer with a simple no thank you. Um, The angel that he said no thank you to said that the reason that he responded with no thank you was his weak faith. You wouldn't believe God. You won't believe God's words. In fact, the angel got... About halfway mad at him. He was shocked that Zechariah would not uh, respond in faith to what God was telling him. He had prayed who knows how long, how many years for God to give him a baby boy or a baby, a child. God says, I'm going to give it to you. And Zechariah couldn't believe God. He was given the unique opportunity to be the first person that God spoke to and given a word in 400 years. And he said, no thank you. When Zechariah needed the ability to trust God, to put his faith in God, to respond in obedience to what he heard from God, Zachariah could not do it. His spiritual foundation. It was too weak. Too shaky. You and I can discuss. Because his faith had been neglected. It suggests that if his faith was weak and shaky. It's probably because his faith had been neglected. His faith had not been exercised. His faith had not been practiced. His faith had been starved. That's why Paul says in Hebrews 10. Let us not neglect the great and costly salvation. That God has given us. Instead let us draw near to God. Let us receive regular cleansing from God. Let us hold fast to our confession of faith in God. And let us stir one another up spiritually. Do you see how those things are very active? They're very proactive. They're very, I'm going to respond to what God has given me and God has told me. I'm going to Act upon that. And the result is that we have faith that is strong. His inattention to his spiritual life. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. His his lack of attention to his spiritual life led to his love for God and his trust in God growing cold. And at the end of the day, When a crisis of faith occurred. He did not have the ability. To believe and trust God. His house of faith collapsed. When he was faced with a moment of great challenge. To trust and believe God. He could not do it. Unlike Mary. Who had a similar experience. The same angel appeared to her. And said lady. I know you've never had any romantic relations with a a man. But you're going to have a baby. And somehow Mary's faith. I would suggest that Mary's faith had been attended to. Had been grown. Had been strengthened. Had been developed. And when she was faced with a similar crisis of belief. Am I going to believe that which is unbelievable? I'm going to trust God even when my logic tells me it can't be true. Zachariah's faith would not allow for that. In the end, he was unable to say, what, to, say to that angel what Mary said. Be it unto me as you have said, Lord. Yes, Lord, I believe. He said, no, thank you. Because his faith was weak. Second person that I believe missed Christmas was King Herod. Let me, now, let me read this passage to you out of Luke chapter. Uh, let me read chapter 2, the first few verses. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Actually, the, the, the idea is he was greatly disturbed. And all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means small or least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. Then Herod called the the wise men secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, You go. And make a careful search for the child, so that I too may go and worship him. And after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that uh, they had seen seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him and they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and incense and myrrh and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod they returned to their country by another route um i have to believe that the wise men when they walked into or came into Jerusalem To find out where this baby was going to be. um, I have to believe that they were unbelievably shocked. At how quiet everything was. How still everything was. I I would like to believe that they walked in thinking. That there were bands and banners and celebrations and commotion and crowds and there was nothing there was nothing and I'm sure the wise men are like what in the Sam Hills going on Um, the the the, this the baby the king of the Jews the long-awaited Messiah has been born where is he suggesting that aren't y'all all Celebrating and gathering around to worship this, this king, this, this one that we've been waiting on. But no one was waiting. No one was waiting. Especially King Herod. King Herod said, no thank you to this opportunity, this unbelievable opportunity to be the first one to run on ahead of the wise men to beat everyone and go to the place where this little baby would be born. But I'd like to suggest to us that the reason Herod said no thank you is because kings don't bow. Kings have got too much at stake. Kings have got too much to manage. Kings are too busy. They've got kingdoms to rule. Armies to lead. Governments to run. Laws to pass. Enemies to defeat. Gold to count. Administrations to manage. Kings cannot stop their busy, busy schedules. to go on some lark to a village six miles away and give homage to this baby, the one born of Jews, the one that they declared would be the coming Messiah. Herod had too much abundance, too much to hold on to, too much to risk. Too much to lose. Same story with Lot. Pharaoh, Saul, King Saul, the rich young ruler. What those men had in common was that every one of them could not lay down or hold loosely their abundance. They had too much. Too much wealth, too much Too many possessions, too many activities, too much power, too much influence. What would people think if a king went to one of the poorest suburbs, if you will, of the capital of Israel and entered into a barn or a little cave behind some broken down inn? What would people think? Kings don't do that, do they? We've got our own. Um, we've got our own little kingdoms, right? You mamas and grandmamas, you've got a kingdom. How tightly are you holding on to that kingdom? How tightly are you holding on to your rule, your reign? How how, uh, um, passionately are you trying to protect your control of the family? Your priorities, your values, your way of doing things? How diligently, how passionately, how fervently are we holding on to our right to be right, to win, to get our way, to keep control? To the point that I'm not going to risk losing what I value to say I'm sorry, to write that note. Make that phone call. Invite that person. Tell somebody I'm sorry. Tell somebody they're forgiven. To give in. Herod wouldn't do that. And I believe that many of us are as passionate about keeping our reign intact As he was. Proverbs 29 says that the fear of man brings a snare. And my question for me is Is my fear of man my wife, my mom, my daughter and son in law, my friends, my enemies? Is my fear of man? Greater than my fear of missing out on God's unbelievable invitations to experience a Christmas like never before. Not extra presents. We've, we've got more presents under the tree than any year in the past. And we've got more what decorations in our house. Then it looks like the enchanted forest. Am I so afraid of missing the Christmas that I want? The Christmas that I control? The Christmas where I rule? that I miss God's invitations to experience things this Christmas that will change my life forever and the lives of those around me. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor. Let me retranslate that. Blessed are the empty-handed, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. In contrast to the wise men who risked and sacrificed in incredible ways to travel a thousand miles to see and worship this baby, Herod missed the opportunity. He said, God, no thank you. No thank you. I I can't. I can't risk. I can't loosen my hands. I can't let go. I can't detract from my empire this month. I've got an agenda and a plan and a program. I cannot, I cannot be distracted from it. I will not. No thank you. And finally, finally, I don't know if you noticed in the story wise men come to Herod where's this baby where's this this Messiah this son of God born and Herod's response is I don't know I'll check with the experts so he went to the religious leaders the Pharisees and the Sadducees the religious establishment and he said hey where does the Old Testament say this Messiah is going to be born and they said oh we know exactly They didn't have to go look it up. They didn't have to go, oh, let me go check my concordance. Let me go Google it real quick. No, no, no. They knew exactly where. In Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. What's remarkable, what I think the wise men found equally remarkable as I do, is not one religious leader followed the wise men. Oh, they had the right answer. They knew what the Bible said. They just didn't go. They said, no, thank you. Whether it was because of pride, whether it was because of proximity, whether it was because of familiarity. We know all about this. We're experts. We've written papers on this. We know about the Messiah. We know the Christmas story, right? Everybody in here knows the Christmas story. No one's going, oh my gosh, I didn't know there were any wise men. Oh my gosh, I didn't know there were any shepherds. Oh my gosh, I didn't... Bethlehem. No idea, never heard of that. No, no, no. We all know it. We've all got the nativity scenes at our house. These people, these religious leaders, they were too close. They only knew too much. They had all the answers. The only problem is they could not. Or would not connect the dots. They were hearers and knowers of the truth. But they weren't followers and doers of the truth. They were experts at biblical knowledge. But they weren't disciples. They weren't disciples. Reminds me of Judas. He's in the inner circle. Reminds me of the older brother. He lives in the house with the dad. They were so close. They were so familiar. They were so knowledgeable. Judas, tell me about Jesus. Oh, I can tell tell you what he likes to eat. I I can tell you if he snores. I can tell you what he likes to do to have fun. I know all about him. Do you love him? Do I love him? Older brother? How's it like living in the house with the dad? Well, he makes a lot of rules and puts a lot of expectations on me. Do you love him? I don't know. I never thought about that before. That's why the Bible says that we should walk in the light. That God gives us. Because the same sun. That melts the wax. Also hardens the clay. Jesus himself talked about this tree. That was given great soil. Great sun. And great water. But over the years it never produced one apple. Not one. And the point of the story is. Trees that are given much. And produce little. They they don't respond to that which they've been given. They're eventually cut down. These religious leaders were strong on prophecy, rules, theology, and religious ceremony. But if you read the Gospels, what you discover is that they were very weak on mercy, on forgiveness, on compassion. On grace. Jesus says about these very men. You are so careful. To even tithe. On the spices. That you get. If I'm going to use so much. Oregano. I have to take a tenth of the oregano. And give it to the temple. Are you kidding me? Oh, I don't miss. I do not miss my tithe. I tithe because that's the rule. Jesus went on to say, But you ignore justice and mercy and faith. In James, the half-brother of Jesus said, The religion that God values is to care for the needy, The distressed. And not let the world corrupt you. He went on to say that in chapter 2. That faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it impacts how you live. I could go on and on. David says in Psalm 50. You say I am your God. But all you give me is religious ceremony." What I want is for you to be thankful. Do what you promise me and call on me when you're in need. God says in Psalm 51, I don't want your religious activity. I just want you to be humble and to trust me. And Isaiah, one, he says, I don't want your religious activity. I just want you to live a clean life and help people that are hurting. In Psalm 42, The psalmist says, or God says through the psalmist, I don't want your religious activity. I just want you to obey me and hide my word in your heart. And in Hosea 6, God says, I don't want your religious activity. I just want you to really know me and love me. You can't read the Christmas story and not see the contrast of the shepherds and the wise men who had such little spiritual light and yet responded with such abandoned obedience. And the people that knew the most, many of which had memorized the Old Testament and knew every Old Testament prophecy, especially those about the coming Messiah, They had all this light, but they did not respond. Makes me think of you and me. Anybody in here not clear on what the Bible says about forgiving our enemies? Oh, I know. How you doing on that, Larry? Not so good. Larry, what's the Bible say about helping the poor? What's the Bible say about saying no to temptations and sin? What's the Bible say about being a servant to your wife? What's the Bible say about on and on and on? Oh, man, I can tell you. I, I really can. I'm a dead gum expert. How you doing on those things? How you doing on telling the truth, not gossiping? Oh. Well, I'm working on it. My knowledge far surpasses the embrace of what I know. Let's not miss that God, I believe with all of my heart, He wanted Herod, He wanted Zechariah, and He wanted the religious leaders to experience as unbelievable and unforgettable a Christmas as Mary did, as Joseph did, as the wise men did, as the shepherds. God's not a respecter of persons. God didn't spin the sovereign wheel and go, Herod out, shepherds in. Ridiculous. He woke up one morning and said, oh my gosh, I've got this incredible Christmas planned. I would love for everybody involved to participate and have a Christmas that 2,000 years later people are still marveled at. And yet three of those groups said, no thank you. No thank you. wonder about the impact would have, that would have occurred on the rest of the population of Jerusalem? If that night they're coming home from work or coming home from the market or whatever they're doing and they see King Herod heading out of town. Hey, uh, sir, where are you going? I heard about this. this It sounds crazy, but this, this son of God has been born outside of town. I'm going to go and see what's going on. And if it's true, I'm going to worship. I wonder, I wonder if all the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had started herding out of town. And people said, where are they going? What's going on? And they told the same story. I wonder how the rest of the city of Jerusalem would have been impacted. I wonder how my family. I wonder, I wonder how my wife would be impacted. My daughter and grandson would be impacted. If this Christmas, I spent the next few days begging God. To let me experience the Christmas that He wants me to have. To see Him like He wants to reveal Himself to me. To open my life up to whatever it is that He wants to do in me. And to tell Him with as much sincerity as I can muster with the power of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you tell me to do God, I'm going to do it. And to hold loosely anything and everything that's not directly related to the worship of the Son of God. I was thinking about, you know the movie, well I know it's a story, but the, the movie uh, The Christmas Carol and Scrooge. Um, you know that story. Uh, what's the other one? Um, um, Home Alone. You know about that little boy uh, that was left behind and then gotten all those shenanigans with those two crooks. Have you ever watched that story, that movie, and seen the real? What I find the real point of that? There's a message there. It doesn't have anything to do with the crooks. It doesn't have anything to do with a little boy. It's that old man with the snow shovel who had not celebrated Christmas with his son and his grandchildren for years. And then I thought about old um, uh, you know Grinch. You know Grinch. Not the not the new movie, but I mean the real one, the cartoon one. You know what I thought about There's something that ties all three of those together. The Christmas story, Scrooge, and the Grinch. All three of them had missed years of Christmas wonder. Grinch was up in a cave, bowed up, mad, complaining. When that whole town of who people, who, who, who's, They would have loved for him to come. Come join us. We would love for you to. Scrooge, he had a nephew and a niece and family and friends that were throwing unbelievable parties. They would have loved for him to come and participate in the celebration. But again, he was bowed up, mad. I'll stay in my cold house in front of my little old lump of coal. I will not participate. And then that old man, how many Christmases did he miss? Being in the being surrounded by his son and his more importantly his grandchildren. God said to all three of them, man, I'd love to get I've got these incredible plans for you to give you this unbelievable Christmas and for years all three of them no thank you no thank you I'll be right I'll make my point I'll stand my ground I'll keep my control even if it causes me to miss the wonder of God's invitations to experience the unforgettable Zachariah, John the Baptist's dad, he missed his opportunity. He didn't get to be the one that announced the coming of the Messiah. He didn't get to be the one that was the very first spokesman for God in 400 years. But bless his pointed head, he didn't... There came a day when he said, you know what, I'm tired of missing I'm tired of missing God's wonder. I'm tired of missing God's miracles. I'm tired of missing God's blessings. I'm tired of saying no thank you. And he said, I want to get in on what God's doing. And he joined Elizabeth, his wife, for the next, I don't know how many years, 30 years, I don't know, raising, participating in the, in the rearing The discipleship and the training of a little boy that grew up and by Jesus' own declaration was the greatest man ever born of woman. Zechariah said, I'm going to get in on something real. I'm going to get in on something that's that's life-changing. I'm going to get involved in something that matters. He didn't just stay in the the cave with Scrooge or or the Grinch or stay in that old cold uh, house with Scrooge or celebrate Christmas alone like that old man in Home Alone. I just appeal to all of us today. Let's not let unbelief or our passion to control our passion to keep our abundance to ourselves and our pride to cause us to say no thank you to God's most incredible gifts this year. wish reestablish in your life that you need to establish, re-establish, heal, grow, strengthen, deepen. Let's not say no thank you. Are there people that you are aware of, that are in need, that are hurting? And if you decided to be sacrificial, you decided to be generous, you decided to be outrageous towards somebody in need, you would change their lives forever. Notice, I'm not telling you. I'm not trying to drum up money. I'm not. This isn't a off-handed way of trying to get you to fill up the offering box. That's not what I'm. I'm saying knock somebody's socks off that genuinely has different for them. Deal a bad hand and you could make it different for them maybe many of us could look at our December calendar and say you know what I'm going to I'm going to nix some things so that I can spend time with this person whose birthday I'm trying to celebrate. I've forgotten what he looks like. I haven't heard his voice in so long. I'm so eat up with me and so unaffected by Him. I'm going to slow down. I'm going to get still. I'm going to eject some stuff. And I'm going to get to know that that one that was born in that manger 2,000 years ago. I believe with all of my heart. And I'll, I'm through. I believe with all of my heart that one of the reasons that Mary and Joseph could not find room in the inn. All Jesus had to do was be born in the Bethlehem. He just had to be born in, Beth- in Bethlehem. Why was the inn full? Why did he, why did he have to be born in such a, 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 a base place? I don't have all the reasons, but I suggest this. God wanted Mary and Joseph to have time alone with this one that was born from heaven. Because He knew that if they had time alone, they would never be the same. He got rid of all the distractions, all the noise, all the commotion. And they got time with him. I believe that God wants the very same thing for every one of us. Jeremiah chapter 6 says, Follow me and you'll find rest for your souls. But you said or you responded with, no thank you. I don't want to say no thank you anymore. My grandson missed out on a bunch of great pancakes. (laughs) Someday I'll remind him of that. But you know, there's a lot more at stake for me and you. And for those around us, oh, that they would begin this, the next week and a half, to see us seriously start seeking after and getting to know and falling in love with this one whose birthday we're celebrating. What an impact that might have on us. What an impact that might have on those that we live around, live with, celebrate Christmas with. Let's think about that. Um. Larry, Renee, y'all want to come help me? Please. Oh. Morning. Paul says in Hebrews 2, "Let us not neglect I put in parentheses, say no thank you. Let us not neglect the great salvation that we have been given. Every week I believe God longs to remind us of what His Son did when He came and lived and died and rose again. And he's reminding us, don't neglect this gift. Don't neglect this salvation. Don't neglect it. Don't say no thank you. Um, I invite you to come and eat bread and drink wine or juice. And remember why Jesus came and was born in Bethlehem. Why he grew up, why he lived, why he did what he did, why he died, and why he rose again. Ultimately, he did all of that so that you and I could have our sins forgiven and we could be given freely the righteousness of God and we could be adopted into God's family with the hope that someday we will spend eternity with him. I'm staking my life on that. I really am. If that is your belief and testimony, I invite you to come and eat and drink and remember with me and give thanks with me to the one who did all that.